Hello and welcome to everyone that's listening to this podcast. I'm extremely grateful to be speaking to you right now. I'm Zach, your host of the Auxoro podcast, The Voice of Music. And this episode is brought to you by The Aux. Quick question. Do you want a list of the five coolest things that we discover each week mixed in with some awkward humor and inspiration? Of course you do. Well, then you should subscribe to The Aux with the link in the description of this podcast. Every week, we will send you our favorite books, podcasts, life hacks, workout tips, kitchen appliances, Netflix documentaries, anything that we think is cool and want to share with you. So if you're ready for cool, at least our version of it, get at that link in the podcast description or visit auxoro.com slash the aux. That's A-U-X. This time, we sat down with Chloe Lilac, a 17-year-old singer-songwriter from Brooklyn, New York, which is right in the heart of our stomping grounds. This conversation got deep, and part of me wasn't expecting it to. Maybe that's my fault for underestimating a 17-year-old. I'm 25 now, but when I was 17, I had a lot of insecurities and some harsh experiences, but I wasn't nearly as comfortable or as able to talk about these things as Chloe is. She seems very self-aware and not just for a teenager. In this conversation, Chloe speaks about sneaking out of her parents' apartment at 13 years old to busk in the streets of NYC, her struggles with addiction, childish Gambino, her latest project titled Manic Pixie Dream, and more. Now, even if you aren't an avid listener to music, or maybe you haven't discovered Chloe Lilac yet, I encourage you to listen to the full extent of this conversation. We live in a landscape where the teenage perspective can resonate with anyone from 12 to 60 years old. And even if you don't believe me, just look at what Billie Eilish and her brother Phineas is doing. This conversation definitely changed my perspective on a few things like creativity and even Alcoholics Anonymous. And I hope you can give yourself the same chance. So without further ado, here's our wide ranging, deep conversation with Chloe Lilac. Yeah, okay. <laughs> get get Leo on the podcast. Talk about so, pickleball. Talk shit to him. Do it. So besides Leonardo DiCaprio <laughs> and pickleball, I thought a good place to start would be drawing and art because I was reading that you do both. Yes. You are an artist outside of the musical sense as well. And... I'm jealous because I never had any sort of artistic concept visually that I was able to put down on paper. I have a a terrible drawing at home that my mom keeps up at the house that reminds me every day. It's a self-portrait of how terrible I am at drawing. And at the time, I thought I was really good. And then I just look back on all these drawings. I'm like, wow, I'm terrible. I'm pretty bad too. I just do it. (laughs) <laughs> but for, for you, how did, how did you get into it? Because you, everyone starts out bad and not a lot of people consistently go back to a passion knowing that they're quote unquote bad. I'm sure you're not bad. I, I haven't seen any of the, the photos or the, the pictures disclaimer, but I'm sure a lot of them are very beautiful. Oh, thanks. How did you get into drawing and art in general? 
So it was definitely like in school. I mean, it runs in my family. My grandma's a painter. So I've just always been like pushed and inspired to make art. And I was never good at school. So in school, the only classes that I really applied myself in were art and like chorus. (laughs) Those were the two ones. And then after school, I'd like go to like the musical and I'd do the musical. And that's, that's like what I would do. I don't know. Now I just kind of, it just kind of stuck with me. All my friends have always been artists and I've just connected with artists more. And I think if I wasn't doing this, I'd probably be an art teacher because I just, I love art. I always have. My drawings aren't super realistic. I'm pretty Yeah, what type of things do you draw? What type of subjects attract your attention? Okay, it's basically, it's, it's, when I was 13, I went to the Whitney with my babysitter and I saw this abstract painting and it made me cry. <laughs> and then I was like, okay. What did it that's look what like? That's what I want to do. Or what was the general premise of it? Because I know a lot of abstract things are hard to define. But if, yeah. if there was a general through line to it, what was it? I remember there was a lot of pink in it. I like pink, if you can tell. <laughs> she has this pink hair and a pink shirt for yeah. those of you listening. Yeah, man. I like it. You rock it. Yeah, thank you. It's I a great appreciate look. that. I mean, it was it was like a lot of paint splattered around and it just, I don't know. I I felt that. <laughs> I don't know. It yeah. was weird. It really spoke to me. And then after that, I, when I was 15, I went to a, like a Pratt pre-college course and um, that my dad signed me up for because he's like Pratt and um, alumni. Um, so I did a pre-college course on like just painting and, you know, there was a lot of realism, but my teacher was an abstract painter. So shout out Ben, but (laughs) shout out Ben, Ben. but yeah, I don't know. He really, he really taught me about expression and like rigging because I always thought like to be good at art, it was to be good at realism, but really to be good at art is whatever your definition of good art is. So expression. That's what's crazy to me thinking about art and the way people take scenes or subjects from real life and then put them down on a canvas or drawing it on whatever. It could be the back of a a napkin or something. The way that we judge what makes good art is not always how realistic it is. It's not like the things that get closest to whatever it looks like in real life. That's the best art, which for a lot of other things, that's that could be the bar to which we judge something. Like in sports, there's a clearly defined level of, okay, in baseball, you need to be throwing this hard and this strong and hit the ball this far or else you really have no chance of making it. There are all these concrete definitions of what makes you good at something. But art is interesting to me because it's so broad in what hits people. And like you were saying, you were younger at the time, but that painting, the abstractness and the pink and the combination of all the elements, whatever it was, spoke to you. And it wasn't, in a sense, real. It was a real piece of art, but the the concept was not of this earth. Like it wasn't just a direct depiction of something, which is is crazy. That's why it's interesting. I think what defines what makes good art versus things that are outside of that creative realm. Well, what I love about art is how subjective it is. And 
like what you were saying, like someone's perception of one thing is so different from someone else's, you know? So like you think about, I think it was Da Vinci, like his like, was it Da Vinci? I'm going to sound stupid. Uh, Starry Night. That's okay. I sound stupid a lot. So, so I need know, someone else to join me. Hey. I have, uh, a, lab, I'm, I have a laptop yeah, yeah, in front of me, by yeah. the way. Is it, is it Da Vinci that did Starry Night? Like the really famous... We'll look it up. One with the sky. And yeah, I think it was Da Vinci. I think so. No. Starry Night. No, Pica- no, it wasn't Picasso. He did the, he did the. By Van Gogh. Van Gogh. My bad. It was, I knew it was a V. Which you can buy knockoff at Macy's for $73.99. Amazing. Right now it's 10% <laughs> off. It's the first thing that pops up. Ooh, 10% off. <laughs> yeah. Getting them steals, boy. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Hop um, on that. You know, like his, his perception of like a night sky was that. And I don't know, man. I just, I just think that's so cool. But my my art, like the way I I draw, I just I think it's all about expression for me. So it's I'm terrible at at realism, as I've said. But I I really I'm good at making squiggly lines. <laughs> so a lot of my stuff is um, squiggly lines, and I'm also like a huge space nerd. That's something that a lot of people don't know about me. Anything I, specific with space, like space travel, or all of it. All of it. I'm reading a book by Neil deGrasse Tyson about astrophysics just because I want to. <laughs> I love yeah. it. My dad's, my dad really got me into it. We just watched like the science channel for hours when I was little. So a lot of this stuff is like space theme too. I'm into all of it. I think it's so interesting. Like what is dark matter? But that's like a different conversation. Um, <laughs> we have no idea what, what's going on. We can on. throw that in the, uh, <laughs> the pickleball podcast exactly astro, astrophysics slash pickleball with Leonardo <laughs> yeah. DiCaprio and Chloe Lila yeah let's do it I'm down Leo if you're listening holla at me um but you know I just I yeah I, I love creating and I love all art forms I do all my own album covers and all my own album art too so that's just so, really important to me so then you don't suck because people <laughs> seem to like what you are doing and you wouldn't put something that sucked on music that is beautiful. So therefore it must be good. And I don't think you give yourself enough credit and yeah, you do make beautiful album art. I haven't seen it in person, but I I've seen the digital version and I'm sure the, the actual version is even better. Thanks. I mean, it's, yeah, it's just, it's fun. I like it. I, you know, that's how I started was when I was, 13 and just like making SoundCloud songs and uploading them. I made all my own album art then because, and I produced for myself because like, I just had no, like no one else was going to do it. And how are you going to grab people's attention, Mm -hmm. you know? So also it's just something I've always felt driven to do. My, my dream is kind of to like make album art for other people at some point. That would be so cool. That would be. I would love to do that. Do you have a starting point with album art? Is there always a certain process that you go through when you're trying to pull that image from the song and try to create that into something that you think would fit? That's a really good question. I don't know. I think I just listen to it and then I I get a vibe for it and then whatever happens, happens. And then if it's not great, then I just try it again. And that's, that's how I do it. <laughs> yeah, try, trial and error. Yeah, yeah. It's like I'll... What I like to do is I'll like send it now. I'll send it to RCA and uh, which is so cool that and what I love about RCA is like they have a whole art department, which mm-hmm. is so important to me. 
that was so cool. And that was something that I, I just love about RCA still. And, you know, my, my team there is just so great, but I'll send it to them. Is that a common thing at labels to have an art department dedicated to Not that to I that? know of. Not, not like a real art department. I mm-hmm. think it's just up to the ANRs, um, okay. which is great because, you know, that's, that's... That's cool that they have something that's just dedicated to the design and art aspect of the music. Totally. I think it's, it was just, it's really cool. And actually the, the head of the art department is a Pratt alumni too. Which I just, I love Pratt. So. Yeah, shout out Pratt. <laughs> shout out Pratt, bro. <laughs> I love so, Pratt. So while we're talking about art mm-hmm. and color, your artist name, Chloe Lilac. Yes. You must have a strong connection to color. I if do. that's what you chose to name your name, name your, name your yeah. artist name, create your yeah. artist name, Chloe Lilac. What specific experiences do you associate with the color Lilac? And what made you want to choose that? as your name? That's a great question as well. Okay. So I have synesthesia, which is, um, you know, it's, it's where you, for a lot of different people, it's like sometimes they associate color with numbers or words. I, I guess I, I associate it with, with sounds. So, mm-hmm. you know, like I hear colors and I thought that was normal until I like talked to my friend about it and she was like, what the fuck? But yeah, and you're trying <laughs> to explain curse, it to someone else. And... By the way, my letter curse. Is that cool? Yeah, yeah. Oh, we, okay. All right. You can uh, fucking curse. <laughs> <laughs> All right, bet, bet, bet. Okay, cool. We've had a lot of profanity on this podcast. All so. right, copy that. Mod Sun was our first guest, like I was saying before. Yeah, <laughs> swore a good amount, which oh, is man. cool. Um, <laughs> It'd be like that. But um, yeah, so I actually didn't know what, synesthesia was. All right. I knew of the concept. I didn't know that was what it was called until I was recently watching an interview with Billie Eilish on the Zach Sang show where she was going into the concept of the Billie Eilish experience, which is what she created for the album that she just dropped. And she was basically making rooms for every song. And then she associated colors and numbers with with each song and didn't know why. So I, I might be getting this wrong, but I think she associated a yellow and the number seven with bury a friend, but don't quote me on that. But the concept was similar to that. And she was going through all of these, these phases and different ways of thinking in her mind that I would have never thought of because I've never seen something. And Maybe every once in a while, but it's not a regular thing where I'm associating a certain color or a number with another experience or an object. And when she was describing it, it was kind of, it was cool to me because it was like she was bringing people inside of her head and letting them walk through the rooms. And like, this is me. This is what I think of when I'm making that song. I feel that for me, like making music is kind of like painting, which is dope. It like, you know, it crosses over my two loves. I don't know. I think it's, I think it's really, it's fun. It's just kind of normal for me though. Cause yeah. it's just the way it's like a brain wiring thing. But yeah, I mean, Chloe Lilac didn't come from that though. It was, it's way less cool than that. <laughs> my middle name is Lila and my last name starts with a C. So, um, gotcha. so it's kind of like bridging the gap yeah. and then cutting off the last part of your name. Yeah. And it, it you know, That's cool. it was, Lilac was my favorite color when I was a little kid. So yeah, and it's still like one of my faves. It's a good one. So going back to synesthesia, because I am very intrigued by the concept. Oh, yeah. yeah. Is there a recent time or a recent experience where you kind of felt the wheels 
turning or a certain association building in your minds. And, and when that does happen, when you associate something with a color or a number, what does that feel like? Well, it depends on, I don't know. That's a really, that's a really great question. I've never really thought about it. It's just kind of something that happens, you know? Like, yeah, it's just like an automatic thing. It's Yeah, I mean, I listen to, to music and then colors just show up and it's it's cool. It's like, I love to like close my eyes and listen to music. That's crazy. Yeah, then it's just, it's kind of like, it's kind of like a light show. I can't wait for the Chloe head. Lilac experience. <laughs> Best believe it's on the way. I was reading that you used to sneak out from your Brooklyn apartment at yeah. 13 years old. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't brave enough to do that when I was 13 years old. And I was in Long Island too. So it wasn't as cool as Brooklyn. I couldn't just (laughs) hop on the subway. Like I would have just been walking around. (laughs) Yeah. Or just the suburbs at night. Nothing. Everyone goes to bed at 830. So it's like, what am I going to do? For you, what is the process like of sneaking out? Because a lot of kids have or have snuck out and some kids haven't snuck out. What does a good sneak out look like? If you were like going to build a guide, (laughs) I was trying to put that the right way. Like if you're going to build a guide to sneaking out and you're a kid listening to this that's trying to sneak out, how would you do a good sneak out approach so that your parents couldn't find out? And I was also reading that you brought a guitar with you too, which adds to the possible sound or clanking when you're going out. That's true. How are you approaching the sneaking out process? But how I snuck out was I, it helps to have a fire escape outside of your window. So how I would sneak out was, okay. So when I was little, I grew up in this huge apartment building and then we moved. It would have been much harder to sneak out if I was in an apartment building. Mm -hmm. But we moved to this like brownstone in Brooklyn. So, and we rent out the bottom two floors. So we have the top floor. And I, when we moved in, I was like nine or 10. And uh, I was like, I want the room with the fire escape. Because I knew, <laughs> like you I were, knew my little nine-year-old head. I was you were, like, mm-hmm. you were foreshadowing. You were already building, building a plan from a very young age. Yes, um, so, scheming. You got was, to. I mean, I have like OD anxiety. I think back and I'm like, how the fuck did I do that and not die? I don't know. There was some divine intervention, man. But yeah, I mean, having a fire escape definitely helps. I would like, you know, I had a guitar strapped to my back, so then I climbed down the fire escape. I wouldn't like let the thing go because I I knew that would make a shit ton of noise. So I would climb down to the bottom one, like the bottom rung, and then I'd hang off and then I'd jump. And then I was lucky. With the guitar. Yeah, I was lucky because there's a way to get into my house that now is impossible because my my I told my parents about it because I felt bad. And also I had like people coming into my house, like my friends would yeah. like just get into my house and my parents would be like- Through that way. Yeah, like in. how the fuck- did this child get into my house? Yeah. And I'd be like, ah, don't worry about it. But then, you know, I had to tell them at some point. Um, there was like a way to to get into my house through the roof that like anyone could get into our house. <laughs> but I like no one knew about it. So I would I would do it all the time. Um, so I would just go into so the roof the, hatch. So you had the roof hatch and mm-hmm. you had the fire escape. So yeah, you had those were my two, two plans of entry. Yeah, and not, escape. not through the stairs. And then I just Sneak out. I go to Soho House. I go in front of Soho House and I go to Union Square. Those were my two places. And because I thought that was where like music industry people hung yeah. out. <laughs> I mean, and, it, it's true. Yeah. But like I found out when I, once I got actually discovered like into mm-hmm. the music industry, people like that's like an industry no is like picking people up from the street because they think they're crazy, which is probably yeah. true. But <laughs> I was like, I was really going for it, man. Like I didn't give a fuck, uh, which is, you know, 
thinking back, it's like, wow, how did I not die? That's crazy. And my parents yeah, had no that's idea. True. For you started this when you were 13 or younger? Yeah, I think it was like, well, I'd been doing SoundCloud since I was like 12. And then that wasn't really getting me anywhere. I only had like 100 followers on SoundCloud. So I was like, fuck that. I need to like take action. And I went to private school my whole life. So I had like no friends outside of school mm-hmm. and all the kids in my school. Like, like I had like, I think I had like five friends at my school. Like I got bullied really badly. So on the weekends, all the friends that I did have had like pretty strict parents. So they like really couldn't hang out. So the summer after eighth grade, I would hang out in Union Square and I started street performing there. And I realized that that was like a really good opportunity to one, make friends and two, like get discovered, which was my end goal. So I would just, I don't know. I would start, I started just doing that all the time on the weekends. It started on the weekends. And then it, you know, I got into high school and I showed up my first day and I was like, I hate this. Cause I was with the same kids mm-hmm. that I'd always been with that hated me. And this was after like, being, my guts. this was like, after being homeschooled? Uh, no, this was before. Oh, this is before, okay. Um, and that was ultimately why I parted ways with that school was because I was just always sneaking out and it got to a point where I was sneaking out like every night and then, and then um, sleeping for sleeping two for hours, like three hours <laughs> and then going to school. I put in these like Bluetooth headphones that I bought with the busking money and I would produce in class and like put my hair over my ears and my friends like remember it. So you would have a laptop in class? Yeah. Cause you can like take oh, notes. Okay. See, I'm so old that no, I, no. I didn't go through that phase you where you we, did. Towards my senior year in high school, they started to bring in the iPads. Ooh, I think that was 2010 or 2011. Crispy. Yeah. They're yeah. like, we're going to put iPads in the science center. I'm like, this is sick. Yeah, true. Uh, That's crazy. So to go back to the stage where you first started busking and mm-hmm. playing in Union Square and in Soho, one that is very ballsy and brave because there yeah, are yeah. so many dangers in New York City and things that are going on, especially late at night. But as a kid, you're innocent to those. You're ignorant in a blissful way where you don't really know what can happen. So it puts you in a position where you can do something like that confidently, where you're just like strolling out (laughs) into the streets and you're like... The frontal lobe wasn't developed. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was Um, a silly, silly thought. So (laughs) when you were set up and playing outside Soho House... Are there any interactions or conversations that stand out? Any any usual characters that would stop by? I would just, ha- you know, I'd have a lot of people like tell me I was really good. and um, But also like thinking back, I probably didn't sound that great because I would sing until my voice literally wouldn't work anymore. And you were <laughs> and, doing it every night. Too, yeah, right, and it much. wasn't original music either. Like I'd, I'd be covering like Lana Del Rey. But that's how that's how songs. a lot of people start. Pretty much everyone that I've had the pleasure of speaking to has started by covering songs that they love. Even producers, I guess the the producer side of that would be trying to recreate beats that you like. So a lot of producers say they tried to like they took a a rap beat that they liked from Kendrick Lamar or something, and they look up a YouTube tutorial on how to create that from scratch. And so a cover with a guitar is kind of like the vocal version of that to recreate a song and put your own twist on it. Dude, I like wanted to be Lana so bad for like the longest time. I still do. I love her so much. She's amazing. She's so cool. Yeah, I would just sing like Dark Paradise was one that like I would sing all the time. 
I don't know. There, no one really talked to me because I was like this little ass kid outside of a bar at like two mm-hmm. in the morning. I can't imagine what people probably thought. That was one person thought like asked me if I was okay. And I was like, yeah, they're like, are you lost? Yeah, like, they were like, are you are you good? Like, where's your mom? And I was like, she's at home. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Mind your business. Like, <laughs> it was bad. It was bad. Like, thinking back. Yeah, but that probably built up a lot of confidence and <laughs> a lot of uh, thick skin to be able to play in front of people like that at such a young age where, like you said, you're you're still developing and those experiences can have a lasting effect on you. And a lot of people would go out there a few times and then never go back again if they didn't get traction or see anything transpire from it. But obviously you fed off something from that and you continue to do it for a long time, it sounds like. Yeah, man. It was, I was just, I knew from a super young age that this is what I, what I really want to do like for as long as I possibly can. So and I, I, it was all like my entire childhood was all just working up to this. Like, that's it. Like it, I was constantly in bands and writing music ever since I can remember and working really hard. And it was all about when will I get a record deal? Um, which now is like not in this day and age is not as, um, you don't really need one to, to succeed, but that's what I thought. So I was just completely like everything was about getting industry traction. Mm-hmm. So I was, you know, trying everything. I I had like a ukulele cover channel and I had like, which I got like a little bit of clout from in Brooklyn. Like yeah. I, I had this one girl approach me. And at it's a unique mitzvah. too. Uh, yeah, it was fun. It was like, I was 12 and I would like do ukulele covers. And then like this one girl walked up to me and I was like, I got clout now. I was like, you're, but you <laughs> don't talk it. to me. Yeah, I made it in the bat mitzvah scene. But, you know, it was it was all about getting industry traction. And then I found that I was kind of lost like the second I got industry traction for a sec because I was like, now what do I do? But yeah, I mean, I definitely like, it was hard actually. It was way easier busking than it was performing in an actual like performance space because busking, like it's all about grabbing people's attention mm-hmm. at like Rockwood. It's just yeah. about being there. Whereas like… Yeah, people are there specifically to, to see, see you. Yeah. And, and so, when you're busking, people are passing by. And if they like you, they like you. If they don't, they don't. If they have their headphones in and… Yeah, it's not personal. Know, yeah, it's not a personal thing. Yeah, but it's just about how much I can time imagine the pressure of having, you know, 50, 60, hundreds of people in a room to see you. And then you feel that pressure to deliver. Definitely changes things a little bit. It was really scary at first. Now I love it. But when I first started, I like didn't know if that was something that I could do. Like legitimately, I had no idea if that was something that I could do, like performance, because it was it was so it was so much different than busking. Like I don't know. And plus, it was it was mainly like industry people coming to the shows, yeah. and the way industry people stand is they just have their arms crossed and they don't move. So I is that how, I is that, like, is that how they stand? Yeah, they just like stand like all stoic in the back. They look like really unamused. Like they've seen like 20, like, and plus I was like really, you know, I was learning how to be a performer in that kind of environment. So, and I, I didn't have any friends that could come to the shows because it was all like 21 plus. So it was just, it was really like, it was a weird way to start. Yeah. 
And it gave me a shit ton of anxiety. And then the first, I'd say the first time, I would just kind of stand there in the same spot. And then the first time I actually like started moving around on stage was, I think like May 8th of last year, I had a show at Elsewhere, which was all ages. Mm -hmm. And I had two amazing female artists that I'm still really close with, Mia Gladstone and Layla Blue, open up for me, which was like so cool. And we're all still like, homies like we got really tight from that night but it was just such an amazing night because all my friends came and like like I got to dance on stage and it wasn't just industry people stand like there were industry people in the back of the room and then all my friends were in the front and we were like having a good time and like my friends were like ah bitch like go off it was mad fun it's a two-way street because as an artist you're bringing your energy but and then as an audience, you're also bringing the energy. So mm-hmm. if you see people that are just staying there with their arms crossed like Dude, this, then shit. it probably kills the vibe a little bit because you have to generate everything yourself and Dude. you're not feeding off of the audience anyway. But that's a good tip for people that are trying to get noticed by the industry. If you see a guy or a gal with their <laughs> hands crossed, just standing there, like stone sizing face. you up. Yeah, they're like, sizing you yo, up. Yo, that's probably, yeah, man. I'm just imagining an entire room of people that are all dancing and then scattered or just like Dude, these stonewalled people. That's how it is. <laughs> that's how it is, man. They don't move. I went to, I went to um, Childish Gambino, who's like my, who's that? my favorite. Oh, he's my, <laughs> he's my fucking favorite guy ever. Like I know all his songs. Like he's my number one dude. I love him. I would like take a bullet for that man. He's the only guy we that I actually would, like, have him. He's uh, a… <laughs> <laughs> I would fucking shit my pants. I love him so much, dude. And I went to MSG with a couple like RCA people to see him. And it was my first time ever mm-hmm. seeing him because my parents were like, the tickets are too expensive. It was really cool. And I go and I'm like scream crying, like all his lyrics. I'm like yeah. dancing. And I'm with all these people from RCA and they're not moving. And I was like, yo… Dude, we're here. Everyone around was like swaying and shit. We were up, like yeah. way up in the back, but I didn't give a fuck. And the industry was, people didn't budge. They didn't move, man. I mean, no shade. Like that's their lives. Like they go to shows every night. Mm-hmm. And like that's it's like it. an analytical approach too. Yeah, to, but it wouldn't kill you to like move your yeah. legs, you know? You can like, still have fun and analyze. Yeah, absolutely. That's a perfect transition too, because actually I did see that you are a huge fan of Childish Gambino. Huge fan. I love it. And You talk about your inspiration for the EP Manic Pixie Dream. A lot of it is that our generation is removed from this vulnerability and that there's kind of this lack of connection. And I was going through some Childish Gambino lyrics late last night to prepare for this interview. (laughs) And one of the ones that stuck out for me, and which is also from one of my favorite songs, 3005. Oh, yeah. Is I used to care what people thought, but now I care more. For you, I wanted to ask the question, what's a recent time or a standout time where you felt like you cared too much or the person that was with you made you feel like you were caring too much? And there was maybe like that competition aspect of like, oh, I don't really want to care about this, but I do care about it. Something like that. Today, literally today. Like, I don't know. I find with with my generation... Gen Z, you know, where we're like, I've, I've had Instagram since I was 10, I think, maybe 11, which just isn't right, first of all. Like, yeah, but you grew good. up with it because you're 17. Yeah. Now. Yeah. No, I came of age with Instagram mm-hmm. just complete right there. That's like not, that's not good. That's not natural. 
you know, you can't get away from anyone on Instagram. Like, it's whack. So I don't know. I find that like, and I think it's it's really, my generation has these like sayings, like catching feelings as if it's a disease. Catching um, feels, yeah. Yeah, and all these different kind of behaviors, you know, being unbothered and being a bad bitch is like, is like something you should embrace. But, and like word, like, but also... I think just genuine connection really scares a lot of people in my mm-hmm. generation and feelings and confronting those feelings. Um, because what was the thing today that you saw that made you um, feel like that? It was basically like, you know, I told my friend, I hit up like this boy that I used to talk to mm-hmm. yesterday. I hit him up just because like I missed him. And I told my best friend and he was really cool about it. But like my friends yesterday were like, girl, you a dumb bitch. Like, yo, like... Yeah, like, you shouldn't be carrying that much. You shouldn't be carrying that much. Like, and it's like, it's so stupid because what's wrong with caring? You know, why why aren't we allowed... Why is that a bad thing to care? Why should I be ashamed of that? That's a new thing. I have a similar experience. And I used to kind of be like that where I still am in a lot of ways where I prided myself on how much I didn't care about That's, girls when I was when I was talking with them from the guy's perspective and yeah. I would like pride myself on like how in control I was at all the time where I could kind of keep people accessible to me and then at any time detach without any sort of emotional disruption okay. it would just be like all right we're not talking anymore like it's fine with me mm-hmm. I hope it's fine with you and yeah. then kind of like leave it right there it's crazy well I think that's also how our society conditions young men and that's not okay. And I think that's actually the great thing about emo rap, honestly. Like people mm-hmm. will like talk shit about mumble rap, but I think trap and like Lil Uzi and mm-hmm. all these all these different like trap guys are really teaching like young men that it's okay to to have emotions and it's okay to to be vulnerable and they make it cool. And I think that's really important because like I don't know. I think it's it's a problem within our society. It's not a problem within you or your parents. It's a problem within how we raise and I think as a society like we're we're starting to come to a place where like we're acknowledging toxic masculinity. Not to say that you have toxic masculinity, but you know, like being specifically like young men being afraid of their feelings and like being afraid to express that um and having that be more of a feminine thing. And on that note, you know, feelings are kind of perceived as a feminine thing, but why is that negative? Why is mm-hmm. it being a feminine thing negative? There it's are crazy. the way that masculinity is portrayed in a lot of ways can be toxic. And coming from the the perspective of an athlete, I've talked a little bit about it on the podcast before, but in athletics, especially just my experiences in baseball, it may not be the same for everyone else, but you're always expected to be on 100% of the time. And if you talk about, you know, not really feeling prepared for a start, I was a pitcher. So it was building up to these starts four or five days apart. And you were always expected to be 100% confident going into it, 100% on. If you even mention that, okay, you know, like if you, if you said to one of your friends, you know, I'm not really feeling great about this one or you know, I'm scared to go out there or I'm, or I'm nervous or just acknowledging normal emotional stresses that come along with playing sports. 
was not always it 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 wasn't no one was actively telling us you know don't express your emotions but that was kind of the vibe and and what was seen as the strong thing to do to just go out there do your job not talk about it and go out there do it again kind of like a machine like you were just always just like this hyper focused guy all the time on the mound and you were just expected to repeat that week after week and then not towards not until the end of my college baseball career which was two years ago did I start to feel more comfortable joking around about the way I felt playing baseball or uh, with friends before starts I my brother could tell you I always was very stone-faced before starts when I was a kid my mom you know there's a lot of things with parents too where they're like oh like I don't talk to my son before his start like it's gonna like freak him out or something or it's like it's gonna get in his head like even that like my mom was afraid to talk to me during the games or during a start which was not an uncommon thing but but it's just like I didn't feel comfortable expressing my feelings as a baseball player until very late in my career and so yeah that's that's my I guess going back to the relationship aspect that ties back in with me feeling more comfortable expressing emotions, especially with females, because it kind of fed off that when I was younger playing sports where I was, you know, unemotional in one. So I I thought it was a good thing to be unemotional and the other kind of like fed off of each other. Yeah, definitely. It, it leaks into different aspects of your life. For sure, especially when something like that happens. It sounds like you did it for most of your life. Baseball? Yeah, it started when I was five. I would say I was seri- like very serious about baseball from the beginning of high school until I stopped playing in college, which is about 10 years. Yeah, that's, that's a really developmental period in your life. And mm-hmm. like, of course, that's going to carry into like other aspects of your life. You yeah. know, it's just, it's, it's really sad that Especially like with sports, but it's like that, I think, with with everyone, with everything. Like I think everyone is is scared to show emotions because vulnerability to a lot of people is terrifying. Mm-hmm. And also it's human, you know? We're we're raised in this. And I think you're you're part of it too, because like you were in the computer age as well. Like Yeah, I didn't get Instagram. I was late in the game. I was I think I was a freshman in college. So I was 18. Yeah. When I got it, it was kind of like all my friends had gotten it and I felt like I was missing out. I'd phone downloaded Instagram and I uploaded my first video of me battling my cousin with a lightsaber. (laughs) And then it's uh, all built off of there. (laughs) Damn. That's crazy, man. I mean, I think we live in this robotic age. So we kind of emulate that, you know, now you see fucking 11 month year old babies on iPads. Yeah. Like how crazy is that? You know, that where's the emotion in an iPad or on a TV? I don't, I don't, you know, I think, I think it's a. Yeah. It's like people are getting indoctrinated with technology younger and younger. So we're going to have to start to find ways in which to connect. We yeah. can, and and disconnect from the technology to just build that into our lives. Because if you're, oh, yeah. if you're born Right now, you're growing up with every piece of technology that's existing at your disposal. And so disconnection has to be built into that in order to have a healthy relationship with technology. So, I mean, there are already some steps and some some studies that 
have been pointing in that direction where, you know, people are making strides to try to build that disconnection into their lives, essentially. That's what I've been trying to do recently is take breaks from my phone and Instagram and stuff. But it's it's just so hard because it's also a marketing thing. It's a and business it's part of your thing. job too. Yeah. Because it's, a, <laughs> it's, fucking it's crazy. basically a portrait of your artistry. Yeah, Digital man. portrait. It's messed up. And it's also like how I interact with the people in my life. You know, it's how I interact with my friends, mm. how I know what's going on. You know, it's really, it's, it's fucked. Like all of it's fucked. And I think, you know, like back to the point of emotion, it's scary. There's this whole, you know, culture of being exposed now that's like up and coming, I think. It's been mm. there for a while now, but getting canceled on Twitter, like having people expose like screenshots of your text, mm. blah, blah, blah. I think that's also, preventing people from wanting to express real emotion because yeah. like anyone can expose you at any time and that's it. And also rejection is terrifying. Yeah. And, <laughs> and it, it makes people afraid to take risks creatively too, because Type. if you say you put something out there and 10 years or 20 years from now, it's not politically correct. But at the time it wasn't that far off mm-hmm. of what people were doing. And then someone comes back and attacks you at 17, 25, whatever, and says, you're not relevant anymore because of this picture that you posted 20 years ago, 15 years ago in college, whatever it was. It's having the mindset that people are not capable of growth and people are not capable from learning their mistakes and people are not malleable. It's like saying that you are you are the same person that put this quote up, this, this photo up, whatever it was, a tweet picture. And you are still that same person X amount of years later and there's no room for discussion. That's that's what I think the most toxic thing about it is, is that it cancels. You're not only canceling that person, you're canceling any discussion or conversation to be had, like long form podcast conversations. That's why I love podcasts because if you put two people in a room, you could hate the other person. But at the end of it, at the end of an hour, hour and a half, however long it is, you're at least going to understand where that person came from. Even if you don't agree with them, which I disagree with people all the time that I talk to, that I listen to, but I at least understand how they grew up and why they think what they do. That's really cool. I fuck with that, man. That's like, yeah. No, I think that's really cool. And I think podcasts are are dope because it's like a way to, you know, get someone's perspective, what you just yeah. said. That's sick as fuck. I want to go back into the EP a little bit. Yeah. With Jesus Couldn't Love Me. And I know that that song is very reflective of you. And I believe it was an interview with, I'm blanking out on who it was, but you said it was the most reflective of you from the EP. And that oh, maybe, yeah. is that correct? Because not everything you read on the internet is, <laughs> is true. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely true. And you said that, that 14 was a huge year for you. Mm-hmm. And it felt like you lived a lifetime in one year. What was happening during that year and what made it feel like you were living a lifetime in that short period of time? A lot of stuff was happening. I mean, in that year, that's when I got like asked to leave from that school that I had been at my whole life. Mm-hmm. And I got really badly bullied at that school. And I... I but my only friends were at that school. Like I it was very much private school in New York is is a bubble, you know? In that bubble, I had no friends outside of school. I went to private school too in in Long Island, but it's still in a lot of ways a bubble. Oh yeah. It's crazy. It's like, you know, so I 
basically lost all my friends. And my parents were extremely worried about me because I was like really depressed. So the year started off, I had one friend and she like, we started smoking weed together. And then I was like, this makes me feel so good. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I want to try other things. So I tried a bunch of different drugs. There was this one outlet that said I did opiates. That's not true. Um, I never like did any like See, crazy. not everything you read on the internet is true. Yeah. I never did any like crazy hard drugs and I don't condone yeah. it at all because it took a really long time for me to feel like myself again. I felt like it was something that needed to happen. And that was also a way for me to make friends outside of an academic environment because I was homeschooled at that point And I had literally, I started from nothing. Like I had no friends. And so I would just go outside and like smoke weed and see if there were any kids my age around that were also smoking weed. And then we'd all get like really high together. And then I'd be like, yeah, you want to be friends? And then we'd do that. But it was, you know, Jesus Couldn't Love Me was really about my descent into drug addiction at a super young age. And how really like 14 was my rock bottom. And that, and I'm, you know, can always get lower than that, but it was really bad. You know, my parents had no idea what was going on. I was going out and partying like every weekend. Mm-hmm. And when I wasn't doing that, I was down the fire escape. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's or the like, roof. Yeah, that's what it that's what it turned into. Yeah. And so that song was really a letter to myself about what like how I felt and how drug addiction felt. And I saw a lot of stuff that I sh- I shouldn't have seen because the people I was hanging out with were really like just not the good crowd, like not a good crowd for a 14 year old girl to be around. I was lucky nothing bad happened to me, but I saw so much shit that I should not have seen because it's really easy. Like you, you know, New York City, like there's like crazy motherfuckers all over Mm -hmm. the place, you know? And you grow up much faster in the city too. Oh yeah. As I'm learning now from my friends that have grown up in the city. Yeah. It seems like they all mature much faster just because of that heightened interaction and people are growing up faster around you too. So you get introduced to things like alcohol, weed earlier than you may if you're living on Long Island or something like that. I mean, I remember kids doing like Coke from like a pretty young age. It's just drugs. Drugs are a huge part of New York City youth culture. But now I think they're becoming a huge part of youth culture in general because of, you know, a lot of people are romanticizing drugs and we've lost so many amazing artists like Mm -hmm. just in the last year to fentanyl and and drug addiction. And I think it's, it's really important to me as an artist for me, like just to try not to romanticize drug use, but just kind of show the realities of it because doing drugs can like one, when you're doing them, it's like incredible. It's the best thing ever. I'm not going to cap, but like, Afterwards, the, th- the shit it'll do to you and your life without you even realizing, it's crazy. I don't know. So that's, that's really like what I want to do with my image is just kind of, I want to be a good, set a good example for kids that might be going mm-hmm. through the same kind of thing. Yeah. And I, I respect that, that dichotomy of, of talking about the highs as well as the lows, because Thanks, man. if you silent, if you only talk about the lows and, and you say, drugs are bad. It's going to do this to you. You should never do drugs. It, it kind of creates this facade of danger where as a kid, you might want to crawl over that and be like, all right, what's so bad? But if yeah. you're honest about it and 
and obviously there there are extremely harmful effects from doing drugs, but at the same time, people wouldn't do it unless there were some good feelings associated with it. So I think if you're going to talk about the bad parts, you have to talk about the good parts because you can, at least from a, just from a human nature standpoint, understand why people do drugs and, and why they want to achieve certain states of mind artificially and all of the things that come with that. And then you also have the lows too. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's a big part of who I am too. Cause I'm, I'm also like, I'm not straight edge. Like I'm, you know, I'm a kid. I'll smoke weed sometimes, you know, like I'm 17. It's not, I don't condone it, but it's, it's the reality. And I want to be honest about it. That's part of being in high school, I think is experimenting and college and being young. Also with it being legalized all throughout, like it's fucked up if I don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. And it's fucked up if I say that there was a period of time in my life where I needed to be sober. And I'm sure that period of time will come back. I just want to live my life as a, as a teenager now. But addiction definitely overtook my life for, for a fat minute. It was bad. And also, I, the program really helped me. I went to AA for a little while. Mm-hmm. And it really, really helped. The way I think about AA, and I tell all my friends this, I think everyone should go to AA at least once. Even if you Even don't if have you a drink don't. problem, just yeah. to see what it's about. Literally, it's, you know, I, I forget who said this. Someone said this to me and I, I really, it resonated a lot with me, which it's, it's a lot like, you know, church. A lot of people need it mm-hmm. and it's their, their life and that's their lifestyle and that's what they need to, to survive and go through their day. And that's completely valid. Um, and that's what I needed at that time in my life too. But also, you know, if you just go, you can take stuff from it, you know, like, and not live by the book 100%. Um, something that really resonated with me was service, just being here to serve people and being here to be the best version of myself that I can be and just consistently grow as much as I can and and try to be a good person. Um, and AI really taught me about that, you know, the whole... 12-step process of the whole thing. I, I think it's it's really important. And also in a meeting, everyone, it's anonymous. So everyone is stripped of their gender, their mm-hmm. label, everything, their their reputation. Like everything is just, it's you're human in a room just sharing your experience. And I think that's so beautiful. And I think everyone should see that. And everyone should go and take it seriously and just see if you take anything from it. Because you can learn a lot when you see people at their they're rock bottoms. You, you learn a lot about life. And it really helped me. It, it helped me a lot. And I have a lot of family in, in the program too. And a lot of, you know, a lot of people I know are in the program. And, and it's just, it's such a beautiful community. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's so important. And a lot of people are scared of it too. Because it like, you know, the admitting is the first step. You got to yeah. like face up to your shit. But I think it's just, it really taught me how important vulnerability is as a human being and how confronting your problems instead of running away from them. Like if you, if you do that, your life will be, will be a lot less hard, believe it or not. Was there a moment or a certain conversation that led to you wanting to confront those problems? Is there a, a, a low sort of rock bottom moment that you were talking about before where you saw there was, you were going in one direction and you absolutely just needed to put your foot on the ground and ask for help. 
Yeah, there were there were two. There was one when I went to Spain with my mom. It's the only time I've been out of the country at this point. But it was my mom took me to Spain for like a work thing that she was doing, and we were in this room, and I was fourteen, and I cold turkeyed all the drugs I was doing. And I was having crazy withdrawal symptoms with my mom literally in the next room. Like I was like cold sweating. I was vomiting. It was bad, man. And I was also cold turkeying all my antidepressants, which is not something you should do ever. So it was really, that was a moment. And my mom just like seeing how concerned she was. It was just, it was like, and I love my mom so much. Like it was, it was crazy. That was one of the craziest moments. But also... The one that after that, I didn't stop binge drinking or anything. I just kind of kept doing that and like smoking is like way too much weed for like a young kid to be smoking. And like, it was just really, really fucked for a while. So when I was 16, I went on my first LA writing trip and it was the first time I was out of New York and away from my parents completely and away from my life. And I was there with my manager at the time. and someone from the label and we were staying in an Airbnb. And I remember one night I was in my room and I just started to like, I broke down completely. And I realized that it was because I had so much hate and denial in my heart about myself and the people around me and like my, like just, everything like about how I, I treated my parents, about how, how much I had lost myself in this lifestyle. And it was just the most, it was the most like spiritually enlightening moment of my whole life where I, I realized, I started thinking about all the destructive shit that I'd been doing while I was using and just how many people I hurt. And I was like, I need, I need to sober up for a while. So I did. And um, I went, I went to AA and I, I worked through a lot of my shit and I still am, you know, thankfully I, you know, no one really overcomes addiction. Once you're an addict, you're always an Mm. addict, but I've gotten to a point where moderation is like a huge thing in my life. And, um, I have a great support system and my parents are amazing and super supportive and the people I work with too. I, I have really great people around me. Like my team is just the best and I have great friends too that like, just like want to see me do great. Whereas Mm -hmm. before the people I was kind of surrounding myself with were also using and very self-destructive like I was and miserable. And, you know, I think it's, it's, it's equally about yourself as like the people you surround yourself with too. So Jesus can love me like back to the original topic is really just you know, I wrote it when I was 14 to myself mm-hmm. when I was 14, but a lot of my songs are about drugs because I've never been in love before. So, you know, a lot of my songs are like love songs to drugs. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. You're not 25 yet. <laughs> True. <laughs> yeah, man. I don't know. It's, it's like, yeah, I don't know. But what do I know? Also, like I'm 17. I don't know shit about life and I'm just fucking trying to feel around in the dark, trying to figure some shit out. Yeah, but you've still, you've still been through a lot and First of all, thank you for sharing that and being oh, honest yeah. about that. Thank and, you for sharing your stuff. And I was going to say, I'm not straight edge either. And I've talked about stuff on the podcast before. Weed wasn't my thing always. I was into the harder drugs 
at a point in college, I was just not good at smoking weed. I would get too anxious. Like no, I, 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 there was a point in my life where I loved smoking weed and yeah, like freshman year I of high school. Say, yeah. <laughs> yeah. For, for me, for me, for year. me, I started late for me. I was a freshman in college. The Whoa. first time I ever smoked weed. Yeah. Whoa. And I loved it, but I wasn't doing it consistently. It's kind of like this every once in a while thing. We also got tested for baseball too. So we oh, can only shit, do yeah. it during long breaks where we knew we weren't going to get tested. But then I just started getting really anxious smoking weed. So I kind of took a break from that. I still do it every once in a while. Um, but I got into harder drugs and like stimulants. And I started either asking my friends that were taking Adderall or like trying to hide it from friends where I went through a phase where I was like, for a while, I was doing Adderall, like literally doing Adderall to study, to go out to do anything basically to mm. play baseball. And it just kind of became a normal thing. And there were some other guys, it wasn't normalized, but there were other people that were acting in similar ways too. So it was like, no, it wasn't like anyone was telling normalized. me, but I didn't realize how much it was fucking with my brain until I just like, st- I stopped doing it. And mm. I, I knew I had to, because I was hiding it from my friends. Cause I didn't want them to know that I was doing it before we went out. And like, that's, that's why I could be. go to the, go to the bar and then go to the strip club at 4 a.m. and like just still be up. <laughs> Yo, and, uh, that's really how I mean, but uh, yeah, yeah just, just like things like that. And uh, I guess like you say, like you have to know your limits. I guess for me, the stimulants were like that too, where drinking, I could always control myself. Weed, I had that block of anxiety, but stimulants, just like when I was on one, like the hooks would sink into me. I'd just be like, yo, this is fucking sick. Like, <laughs> Yeah, man. And uh, But at the same time, it was so damaging to me, like because I wasn't getting through experiences that I needed to sober. And mm-hmm. I felt like I wasn't growing as a person. And luckily, never it never got to a point where it was incredibly destructive like I, I didn't I didn't have to like I never had uh, like my an intervention moment or something like that it was kind of something that I just realized about my own actions and I could have seen myself going down a different path if I didn't come to that conclusion but yeah I just felt once I started to go through experiences sober and and get through it sober and I was growing as a person. I was like, okay, like this is uncomfortable, but I like it. I feel like I like did that yeah. and it wasn't the drugs it's doing it for me. You know yeah. what I mean? And yeah, that's, uh, I didn't go through AA or any, any program like that. And there's obviously a need for it. And I like what you were saying before with the whole servant mentality, because I started to think about the whole servant mentality with, podcast too because I like creating content. I like going to shows and getting to talk to cool artists and getting all the the things that come with that. But I never I now I try to not to get away from that servant mentality where I want people to listen to these conversations and get something out of it. And the reason why I do it at the end of the day, besides the cool stuff that I get to do and that I get to bring into my own life is that I can put these conversations out there and say, okay, I think people may need to hear this. I'm curious about this, or I want to share this, or this artist seems like they have a need to talk about that to both serve the artists, like to kind of allow them to talk about what they want to talk about and things that are important to them. And then have people hear that conversation. And then 
I guess that's a roundabout way of saying how I've tried to incorporate that servant mentality. That's beautiful, man. Yeah, I mean, like, that's great. That also, like, something else I wanted to talk about was, like, the whole concept of surrender. Um, like, surrendering to the universe and just kind of, like, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a religious person, but, like, whatever entity anyone believes in or, you know, I, I believe in the universe. So, like, the universe just kind of, you know, you are a vessel for the universe. That's, that's great, you know? This like podcast seems really important to you, and that's that's yeah. beautiful that you have it, you know, and that yeah, you you use uh, it for good. It's definitely been it's been a cool outlet to create content, but also for myself and for artists, and I've talked to other people too in the music industry, like managers, producers. Even started to talk to some people outside of the industry, just because I'm curious how all their stuff works, and I'll, I'll find a way to incorporate it. But yeah, the podcast has been a good outlet for things like that. That's sick as fuck, man. I'm happy for you. to unsmoothly transition. Yeah, let's do it. (laughs) Unsmooth transition. I was reading that you often go to a cemetery or a bridge near your house that's by a cemetery. Yeah, yeah. I was there the other night. cemetery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds really cool. And (laughs) you said you go there a lot in the summer. Mm -hmm. And I don't really, since I'm new to Brooklyn, I don't really have a place like that yet where I go to. For you, what is it about that place that resonates with you so strongly and and what type of interactions do you have there? Is it mostly you? Do you go with friends? Things like that. I go with friends. I go by myself. I just took my dad there for the first time. We had like a beautiful father-daughter bonding moment there. Nice. I've had just so many amazing nights there, man. I I don't know how I found it. I, I think I was walking my friend home and he lived right there. And so I, I didn't even know that bridge existed. And then I just, I took my friend who's like my, my neighbor. She lives like 50 feet away from me there. And we just started hanging out there like every single night. And then we started bringing other people there. And then I started bringing other people there. And we'd always meet up there, even though we live 50 feet away from each other. And like, it's, it's just kind of like a wholesome thing. Now I have like a lock on there. It's a tiny, tiny lock just for myself. Cause it's, yeah. it's just a beautiful bridge for me. Had a lot of experiences on that on that bridge. It's cool to have a spot like that where you can go to and it's very coming of age of me. Yeah. <laughs> we we won't drop the the pin on our website so it stays secret. <laughs> nah, if people want to show up, you know. Yeah, but it, I I like that. I need to explore and, and find my summer spot. It'll find it's you, closing. Man. That's It'll true. Find it'll you. find me. Yeah, and it'll also like You'll have a beautiful experience somewhere and you'll just want to go back to that place. My couch. Just see, type, type. <laughs> I found it. <laughs> True. Found me. True. Exactly. You know, it's like that kind of thing. Your couch can be your spot. It's wherever you want. To go back to Billie Eilish, because you guys are both the same age. Yeah. And being 17 years old, being a teenager, from the outside, it seems like there can be a lot of people that say or that think that you shouldn't be writing about this experience yet because you don't know about it. Mm-hmm. You haven't lived it yet. And I've heard some people, or I've read some things about Billy where she deals with some of those questions and some, some people or who, whoever it is, it could be fans, it could be publications, whatever they say, like these experiences haven't had this experience yet. So why are you writing about that? Have you ever encountered that sort of pushback where someone 
says to you or get like some offhanded comment where someone communicates like you're 17, you shouldn't be writing about this yet or like don't write about this yet. It's just, just not right. You're 17. Yeah, man. I get that all the time. I've gotten that about Heartbreak City um, and cigarettes. Mostly because it's like Heartbreak City, the lyrics are like, of the chorus is literally say that you want me not just to fuck me but for who I really am. Which is something that like, I think we live in a Puritan society. Why can't I talk about being objectified? Like that's a huge part. We live in a Puritan society that's so anti-sex. But when I talk about how over-sexualized I am as a young woman, then there's a problem. Like mm-hmm. that's inappropriate because I'm young. Like, no, it happens all the time. It happens in high school. You know, there are hormones are raging all over the place, yeah. you know? So that's, that's fucking annoying when that happens. Like, and I've had people like from all over object to that. That's like so annoying. But um, also like with cigarettes and I get this a lot with, with drug use too, is like people kind of think it's like, like funny or cute to like kind of make fun of like the fact that I have a past with addiction or kind of be like, you're too young to like have a past of addiction with drugs, Mm -hmm. which is just so stupid and so counterproductive. Like both things are just stupid and counterproductive. And plus like writing about also writing about love, even though I've never been in love, I felt love and I felt strong feelings for other people. And I've I just never like, I don't want to claim that it's love yet because I'm 17, you know? But if I if I feel strongly about someone, I don't see why my age should affect writing about it. And the same thing about like topics. I don't see why me being young should limit me in any way of like writing about things. And also, I feel like there's just so many people that are scared to, I don't know, write about, real shit that happens to them because mm-hmm. they're afraid and like talk about real shit that happens to them because they're afraid that it's going to reflect badly on them, blah, blah, blah. And it's it goes back to what we were talking about earlier with like being human and being flawed. Like vulnerability is, is such strength and yeah. people forget about that all the time. Well, I think it's an interesting transparency because you have artists like yourself that are younger and admittedly, have not been in love, but you write songs about love and people that have been in love identify with that, even though that you've never been in love, but you can create a landscape and you can create this capsule of emotion with a song that other people associate with love and go, oh, that's what it's, that's what I feel when I'm in love. And you're able to do that without having experienced that exact emotion yet. And to me, it's, I don't know. It's I, I feel like we, we don't really understand the, fully the power of music yet. I, I think as time goes on, a, a different psychological and emotional aspects will be uncovered with music as as more and more research is done between like the emotional connection and like the sounds that you hear. But it it's uh, it speaks a lot that you're able to create an, a piece of art like that that communicates an emotion that you haven't yourself experienced yet. I think I've experienced forms of being in love, but I haven't Mm -hmm. experienced like the one, you know, like my parents have been married for 25 years. I've never met anyone that I want to fucking marry. (laughs) I have no idea what that feels like, man. Like, I don't know. I can't, I can't, my dad really explained what, what like true love felt to me. Um, 
my dad is like one of my biggest inspirations. I love him. Shout out Chip. Love you, boy. I'll Shout see you when Chip. I get home. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he's like, he explained it. So he met my mom um, in a very strange time in his life. And same thing with her. They met each other and they they fell in love. And it was, there were like certain limitations that they had. Um, like my dad was married and mm-hmm. my mom had a boyfriend of like six years and they were best friends and they didn't cheat on the other significant others or anything. But he told me it was like from like, basically within like the first two weeks of knowing her, he like couldn't stop thinking about her. And that Mm. was it. And it's still like that. It feels like they've been together for three years and they've been together for fucking like half a lifetime or like, you know, half their lifetimes. It's crazy, man. So I've never felt a love like that. So I don't want to claim a love like that, you know, when I'm 17. But But you could still write about it as a third party observer. But I felt love before. I've, you know, I've like... I've never had like an official boyfriend mm-hmm. or like partner, but I've never, you know, I've definitely felt like strong feelings for someone. And I don't think that's invalidated because I'm 17. Yeah, I don't I know. Agree. I think, I think to each their own, right? And there will be more people that I love and that I like fall in love with, whatever. And I'll write about those people and those experiences. And I don't think... The songs that I'm writing now though, or I wrote when I was like 15 about like boys that I dated when I was 15 Mm -hmm. are invalidated because of that though. So I had a couple more fun questions. They're designed to be fun. We'll see. I want to be respectful (laughs) of your time too. Go for it. So you mentioned that one of the artists that you would love to collab with is Drake. Mm -hmm. I love him so much. (laughs) Which begs the question, which phase of Drake would you most want to collab with? Because he's been through so many stages, like his Mm -hmm. take care stage where he's very emotional, like lady killer stage, best I ever had, like the jump man stage, like zero to a hundred where he's just like going hard as fuck with his rap lines. Which which Drake or combinations of Drake, I guess you could have him like sing on the hook with you and then like go go in for a verse. Dude. Oh my God. You're getting me so hyped right now. Um, <laughs> or you could go in on the verse and then have him sing. <laughs> Yo, I'd die. Um, or switch off. Could be honestly, like-, like whatever he's doing next, I just want to get in on that because I think he's just Drake has such a good ear. Like he has such a good ear for what's popping and like mm-hmm. what's good. Yeah, everything and he touches explodes. It's well, it's so cool, and he's such a talented guy, you know. And like he really has brought pop rap into the mainstream and I think that's just that's so sick like he's a Mm -hmm. fucking legend like I love him so like anything he works on like that I know this is a lame answer but I would like love to to do that as well (laughs) you you want to put a down payment on the next phase of Drake and say whatever that is I'm I'm with it I want to pull up I love him so much and he's one of those guys too to go back to emotion that made it cool and made it mainstream yeah. to rap about he still does. having your heart broken yeah. like his whole and he kept early it. shit and he still does it too but he kept it in that emotional state he's he's never drifted too far from that yeah and people thought he was soft for it but now they're like oh like Drake's big scary yeah, and, then, and then he got bigger too, bigger too and then he, <laughs> y'all yeah, just taking exactly. shit too seriously exactly. man <laughs> that's a good question so I'm glad you thought it was it was good. I, yeah. I worked really hard on it. Drake, if you're listening. <laughs> Shout out, Drake. Um, the last one, the last question I have for you is, 
if you had a billboard in Times Square that you could put anything on. Fuck Times Square. Fuck Times Square. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fuck Times Square, but word. That, Go on. So it, it could say fuck Times Square. <laughs> if you could put anything on it, like any image, any picture, mantra, quote, any group of words you want, it's your billboard. All the costs are paid for, but it can't be self-promotional. It has to be anything besides self-promo. What picture, image, quote, words, anything which you want to put on that billboard. It could be a prank on a friend. It could be literally anything. (laughs) (laughs) This immediately came to... Okay, so I have this friend that sent this to me. My friend Eli sent this to me and... (laughs) I, I, I got you. I would just... I would just. She's, she's going into the phone right now. It's We're oh my the god! Dirty yeah, man, it's this picture of I think it's Danny DeVito just butt ass naked. <laughs> <laughs> like, that is what I would put up. I just think it's like oh man, it's just good. That's I actually would, crazy. Yeah, like that's what I would do. I a, I don't know if you were expecting that like just a makes deep me wanna, answer. No, no, no. I've, I've gotten all different answers. It's a picture and, of naked Danny DeVito. That just, just makes me his, want to party hard with, with yeah. Danny DeVito. I feel like he, him, Bill Murray, they're a bunch of people I want to party with. Yo, have you heard of, um, what's his name? Uh, Joey, I think it's Joey Diaz, the comedian. Yeah, just I actually just listened to a podcast with him no and Theo Fon. Yeah, another so, comic. Yeah. He's real, man. He's a real, he's a real dude. I would like, dude, this is off topic, but Joey Diaz no, is such a king. Yeah. He's a podcast king. Yeah. So they have clips of him online and his stories. You gotta listen to him. I will continue to listen to him. And this is a tangent too, but it'll take less than a minute. So I the first Joey Diaz podcast I listened to was recently and it was with Theo Vaughn, who's a comedian. And Theo Vaughn takes shrooms with Joey Diaz during the pot during the podcast oh, really? and then goes and performs a stand-up routine three or four hours later. But I guess he had thought that the effects wouldn't be still very strong mm-hmm. and he gets up on stage and he just abandons his whole set Theo Vaughn and <laughs> he looks like he tries to get into it and then all of a sudden he just stops and tells the crowd and he says honestly I took shrooms earlier today I'm still feeling the effects so I'm just going to say what's going on in my mind right now <laughs> and he continues to do that for 10 or 15 minutes and it's hilarious and it's one of Theo Vaughn's most watched clips really? out of any of his Sets. It's it's actually really funny, but uh, yeah, just based on that, made me want to go back and listen to more Joey Diaz. Dude, you gotta. He has this. There's this YouTube channel called Joey Diaz Clips, and they're like all about. And he's. I'm really obsessed with old New York and like how New York used to be when it was like like a shit show, like the Wild West. That's how they described mm-hmm. it. He grew up in Jersey in like the 80s and the 70s. And my dad moved here in 76, I think. So I have so many fucking crazy stories from my dad. And I just love hearing about old New York and how crazy that shit was. Um, And We'll get your dad on the podcast with you next time. (laughs) He's a really cool dude. But Joey Diaz, like, he has so many fucking crazy stories from the, like, 70s and the 80s in New York. Like about like cocaine and like what that was like. And he's like this old- Just big, like the heyday of cocaine. Like, like Cuban guy. Yeah. And he's like, ah, I don't know. It's amazing. So he's he's a really, yeah, he's a he's a character. You got to watch Joey Diaz clips. I swear to God. So good. If you're listening, um, go immediately to the Joey Diaz clips page it's and amazing. go watch it. He's but I think man. that's a great note to end on. And again, <laughs> thank you for taking the time to 
Thanks come through our wonderful abode. Yeah, you guys and take the time place. to talk to us. I appreciate it. Of course. Thanks so much for having me, man. Hey, hey, don't tune out yet. I'm going to share with you the meaning of life. But first, go stream Manic Pixie Dream by Chloe Lilac, which you can find anywhere you listen to music or by visiting the links in the description of this podcast. And quickly go subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. Rate us five stars. Leave a comment. Tell a friend. Shout it from the rooftops. Anything to spread the word about Augsworo. I might have lied about the meaning of life. Although if I had to guess, I'd say it has something to do with cheese. And I'll see you next time.